You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Well, we're honored today to have Brother Bertram. When I found out that the group would be here on this day and with the Berchams, I was thrilled uh, for you to get to hear uh, from a great man of God, a great preacher on our anniversary Sunday. And then it also, to me, it makes it so special that we get to be under the tent. Uh, I am, I promise you this, I'm looking forward to July. I know our men are looking forward to July, Brother Tommy and Brother Nathan, Brother Caleb and Nathaniel. They, we were all out here early this morning, a lot of work and a lot of setup. But I, I hope we don't miss these June tent services and the opportunity we have to all be together. Uh, while we're under the tent, we've got some folks that are sitting in the cars back here, and we're so thankful for you folks. We've got folks that are listening on the radio. We've got folks that are watching online. Uh, but I hope that we will be open and hope we'll be receptive to what God has for us today. Brother Bertram, you come and preach to us, and let's give Brother Bertram a victory. Baptist welcome as he comes. Brother, thank you so much. God bless you. Uh, we are certainly delighted to be here today, of course, from Golden State Baptist College traveling. We have about 7,000 miles down and 7,000 to go because we do have to get back home. You understand that, right? It's not a one-way trip. Uh, you know, I was a little apprehensive. He said, we're in North Carolina. We're going to be under the tent on Sunday. And I'm thinking, man, we're all going to die. I mean, I know what tent meetings are. When I was a child, we had in our church, Now I grew up in just a little bit of a fanatical church, we had a tent meeting that started the first Sunday in June and went through July the 4th. Now, here's what I mean by tent meeting. We had two preachers Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night. Then we had Sunday school, we had Sunday morning, we ate lunch, we had Sunday afternoon service, we ate leftovers, and we had Sunday night with two preachers. I went to sleep so much under the tent, I thought it was magical. You always got teleported home to your bed. And we did an entire month of that. You know, now we have a three-day meeting, everybody's wore out and tired and exhausted, and it's a different world we live in. But you know, this is really nice. I mean, it's pleasant out here today, and uh, I'm enjoying it, and I'm glad that you're here, and we're certainly honored to be here from Golden State Baptist College. I'm not going to say a lot about the, the school in this service. I mentioned it in Sunday school. For those of you who are 7th through 12th grade, if you did not fill out an information card or if you did not return it to us, we will be in the lobby. I'm glad that Children's Church is over there, and we will go over there and meet you. You can turn it in, get your gift. Uh, also, if you were looking to purchase something and maybe just the crowd was so big and you went ahead and slipped out to the tent to save your seat, if you'll see us over there, we'll be there after the service. We'd be delighted to help you with anything that we can. Thank you so much, Pastor, for allowing us to be here, and uh, thank you, Victory Baptist Church, for your kindness, your hospitality. Uh, this is always a high point on our trip. We always mark it and note the date that we're going to be here. And congratulations on an anniversary, 32 years. Praise God for what he has done, but it's not over yet. All right? 
God is still working. God is still doing some great things. And I look forward to what God has in store for you. I know you're beginning a Christian school and we're in prayer for you. And we trust that God is going to do some great things through this ministry in days to come. You know, I, I really felt just a little bad for Brother Bybee, everybody talking about his birthday. And, you know, I thought when they talked about what, what number and everybody was wearing black, you know, I thought he was like 80 or 90 or something. And they said 40, and I thought, man, I must be almost dead. You know, that was way in the back mirror back there. I mean, that, that 40 passed a long time ago. But really, I told him this morning, birthdays are like vitamins. They're actually good for you. The more you have, the longer you live. Now, some of you will be spending the rest of the service trying to figure that out, you know. But that's okay. Ask your spouse when you get home. They'll explain it all to you. 2 Samuel this morning, 2 Samuel and chapter number 18. 2 Samuel chapter number 18. I want to read one verse this morning. Then I want to look at a thought that the Lord's placed upon my heart for this hour. 2 Samuel chapter number 18, verse number 33. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Our Heavenly Father, we come before this morning, we thank you for the privilege that's ours to be in your house with your people. Thank you for this good church and this ministry and all that you have accomplished in it in these past 32 years. We thank you for what lies ahead for them. We pray your hand of greatest and richest blessing would be upon them. But now, Lord, as we come to the preaching of your word for this hour, I pray that you would give us attentive ears. Most of all, give us receptive hearts. And then may we have obedient feet that we might do that which you speak to our hearts about. Have your will and way, get honor and glory unto yourself. We'll thank you for what you do, for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Our text for this hour comes from the life of David as is recorded on the pages of Scripture. It gives to us the response of David to the news of Absalom's death. Of course, you know Absalom was the king's son, and you know that Absalom had uh, committed a crime and then was later somewhat reconciled to David, but Absalom's heart was never made totally right. Later on, Absalom would raise an insurrection against his father. And uh, in the course of that insurrection, Absalom is slain. His life is taken from him. And news comes back to David about the death of his son Absalom. And we have his response recorded in verse number 33. The Bible says that the king was much moved, that he wept and he cried and said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, my son, my son. You know, Absalom was given privilege. He was the king's son. He was given opportunity. But it was all in vain because Absalom had a rebellious heart. 
Can I say that you and I can experience every blessing and advantage that is imaginable? But if our heart is not right, it will all be in vain. It will end in disaster. On the contrast, David had his faults and his failures. I don't think any of us would look at the life of David and say David was a perfect man. We all know that David failed and David messed up. But David is described as being a man after God's own heart. You see, here's the contrast. While David's heart was humble, Absalom's heart was haughty. While David's heart was responsive, Absalom's heart was rebellious. While David's heart was tender, when David was confronted about his sin, he didn't have to think about it a long time. He didn't make a lot of excuses. Immediately he said, I'm the one, I'm guilty. But on the other hand, Absalom's heart was tough. I mean, he was not going to respond. He was not going to yield. David's heart was merciful while Absalom's heart was merciless. David's heart was sensitive, but I believe that Absalom's heart was seared. And this reminds us of the truth that the heart of the issue is the heart. The Bible reminds us, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. But I'm particularly interested in David's response of which we read in our text. And truly, it is the response that is worthy of a king. It's a reflection, really, of the heart of the king of kings concerning rebellious creatures everywhere. While David is a man after God's own heart, in his life, in this verse, we see reflected the heart of God towards sinful men and women. I notice in this verse, five times, David refers to Absalom with the little phrase, my son. He says, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. Five is the number of grace. And in this verse, we are reminded of the grace of the king. I want to say to you, first of all, this morning, the grace of the king is undeniable. As we trace the story of Absalom on the pages of Scripture, we can see very clearly the grace of the king displayed. It was proven by the king's long-suffering. If we were to go back to chapter, 37, uh, chapter 13 and verse number 37 and 38, we read these words, after Absalom has sinned, after Absalom has fled from the king, the Bible says in verse 37, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. For three long years, the king mourned. For three long years, the king waited. For three long years, the king was patient and long-suffering. Could I just remind you that that is a characteristic of God? That God, the King of kings, is a long-suffering God? And He waits on us, and He patiently forbears to extend judgment, and He waits, and He longs, and He mourns after those who have rebelled against Him. It was proven by the long-suffering of the King, this grace that He had. 
It was proven by his longing. In verse number 39, again of chapter number 13, we read these words. The Bible says, And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom. I mean, David had a vacant spot in his heart. David had a longing to see Absalom made right, to see Absalom restored to fellowship. Could I just say to you, that is exactly the grace of our king today. He has a longing to see us restored to fellowship. Whether we be a sinner who has never accepted Christ as our Savior and we're living in rebellion, or whether we be a believer who has drifted from fellowship with the Father, he longs every day and he mourns every day that we might be reconciled unto him. You know this grace of the king is undeniable. It's proven by his long-suffering. It's proven by his longing. It's proven by his limitation. If we were to turn over to chapter number 18 and verse number 5, now think about this. Here is Absalom. Here is Absalom who has rebelled against the king. Here is Absalom who has murdered one of the king's sons. Here is Absalom who has raised an insurrection, who has driven David from his throne. Now what is David's response? 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse number 5, And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. Oh, it would have been easy for David to say, Let him die. It would have been easy for David to say, execute him. I mean, put him to death for what he's done. Because Absalom most certainly did deserve to die for what he had done. He had rebelled against the king. He was guilty of murder. And all of these crimes meant that he was worthy of death. And yet, despite his being worthy of death, the king says, no, I don't want you to deal roughly with him. I don't want you to execute him. I want you to deal gently with him for my sake. Could I just say this? That is exactly the way God deals with men and women, boys and girls today. God is long-suffering. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And time after time after time, God patiently waits. When, yes, we deserve judgment. When, yes, we deserve to fall under uh, the judging hand of God, yet God restrains that judgment and holds back and instead offers us another chance, another opportunity, another invitation to come and to make things right with Him. And then as I mentioned previously, this grace of the King that is so undeniable was proven by the lament of David. Here in our text verse, chapter 18 and verse number 33, five times he refers to Absalom as my son. You see, he had grace that was willing to forgive everything that Absalom had done. Could I just say that for you and I today, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has grace that is willing to forgive everything that we have done? You say, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. No, but I know what he did, and Jesus paid it all. You say, you don't know how bad I've been. No, but I know how good he is. And he's willing to forgive whosoever of whatsoever if we will come to him. That is the grace of the king. The grace of the king is undeniable. But could I say to you this morning, not only is the grace of the king undeniable, but I like this fact. 
The grace of the king is unending. I mean, despite all that Absalom has done, it has not altered the grace of the king. Despite all the crimes he's committed, despite all the sins that he's been engaged in, despite the rebellious nature of his heart, and despite the preacher's notes blowing away, the grace of the king is unending. I mean, it has no end in sight. I mean, think about Absalom's crime. 2 Samuel chapter 13. We looked at that just very briefly in Sunday school this morning. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, Absalom's half-brother had raped his sister. And Absalom, instead of dealing with it right away, for two years he plotted, he schemed, he planned. And then... In a moment of wrath, he executed his own half-brother. He put him to death. And can I say he took judgment into his own hands? How many times are we guilty of that same thing? Maybe not putting someone to death, but we like to take judgment into our own hands, don't we? You know, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a control freak. I don't let anybody else drive on tour. Somebody said, you know, you've driven 7,000 miles. How many of that did you drive? 7,000. You say, by the time you get home, you'll drive 14. How many will you drive of that? 14,000. I drive, every, you know, I read in the Bible where in Acts chapter, I believe it's chapter 26, the Bible says Paul let her drive. Next thing you know, they're picking up pieces. That's not a good thing. I'm just following the scriptures, you know. I just, I, I know that if I'm driving, I'm in control. I can go as fast as I want, as slow as I want. I can stop when I want. I can start when I want. I can get as close to that vehicle in front of me as I want to. I'm sure none of you ever do that, do you? Truth of it is, I like to be in control. Every one of us have that tendency. We like to be in control. You know what? Absalom took things into his own hand. And Absalom executed his, his half-brother for the crime that he had committed. And Absalom is there. It was a revenge killing is what it was. It was premeditated murder, nothing more and nothing less. And yet, despite Absalom being guilty of this horrendous crime, the king's grace was not affected. You know, despite Absalom's crime and despite Absalom's conspiracy, if we were to look back at 2 Samuel chapter number 15 and verse number 6, the Bible says, and on this matter did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. In verse number 12, the Bible says that the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. Absalom was guilty of stealing the hearts of the people. You know, there's a great lesson to be learned here. Absalom seemed more attentive, more affectionate, and more available than David was. But we have to remember that Absalom had an agenda. Be careful about those that try to usurp the place of God-ordained leadership that he has put in your life. They may seem to be more attentive, they may seem to be more affectionate, and they may seem to be more available, but you better beware, they probably have an agenda, and it's not your agenda that they're interested in, it's their own agenda. Absalom was after the hearts of the people, 
But David was after the heart of God. And Absalom's conspiracy, stealing the hearts of the people, causing them to uh, create insurrection against the king. And yet, despite Absalom's conspiracy, the king's grace was unending. By the way, think about this. Despite Absalom's corruption, 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 22, one of the most horrible verses in the Bible. The Bible says this of Absalom after he's driven his father, the king, out of Jerusalem. says, So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Despite Absalom's corruption, to sin in such a vile manner, but even more blatantly to sin, not just in a vile manner, but to sin openly in a vile manner. And yet, despite Absalom's very corrupt behavior, the grace of the king is unaffected. It is unending. And even despite Absalom's cruelty, you say, what are you talking about? Chapter 17, verse number 2. Ahithophel is now counseling Absalom. He says, I will come upon him while he is, speaking of David, I will come upon David while he is weak, uh, weary and weak-handed. I will make him afraid and all the people that are with him shall flee. And I will smite the king only. Verse number 4. And the same pleased Absalom well. Now think about it. Absalom is plotting and planning the assassination of his own father. He is saying, Ahithophel says, this is how we will do it. This is what we will do and we will kill your father. And the Bible says that the same pleased Absalom well. And yet the grace of the king is unending. Could I just say, despite the crimes that men and women may have committed, despite the conspiracy that they may have been involved in, despite the corruption that has entered their life, and sometimes it's even in an open and a very vile manner, and despite the very cruelty of shaking their fist in the face of God, the grace of God is unending. It is still extended today. Yes, the grace of the king is undeniable. The grace of the king is unending. But we have to understand that the grace of the king is unavailing after death. You see, despite the king's continuance, despite the king's compassion, despite the king's concern, Absalom continued in the path of rebellion. And ultimately he found death. You know... Jesus made an interesting statement in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6. He said, the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. The truth of it is, as long as you and I are walking on planet earth, breathing air, there is the power, there is the availability of the gospel of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sin. The problem is, once our life leaves this earth, and we slip into eternity, there is no more power to forgive sins. And it is appointed unto men once to die, 
and after this, the judgment. I close with this illustration. In 1829, George Wilson robbed a U.S. mail train in Pennsylvania. George Wilson ultimately was tracked down, was arrested. Uh, he was tried and was found guilty, and as a result, he was sentenced to death. But somehow or another, there was some kind of a relationship between some of George Wilson's relatives and Andrew Jackson, who was currently the President of the United States. Based on an appeal from his family, Andrew Jackson decided that he would pardon George Wilson of the death penalty and the crime that he had committed in robbing the U.S. mail train. And so the word was carried, President Jackson wrote out the pardon, he signed it with his own hand, put it in the hand of a messenger, and it was sent uh, to be carried to the prison where George Wilson was awaiting execution. The messenger arrived, he went to the superintendent's office, the keeper of the prison, and the superintendent took the pardon and went to the cell on death row, opened the cell door, and said to George Wilson, Mr. Wilson, I hold in my hand a pardon signed by the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson. You are pardoned and you will not have to face the death penalty. The story is told that George Wilson swore and said, I don't want a pardon from Andy Jackson. He refused to accept the pardon. Now the superintendent of the prison was confused. What do I do? On the one hand, I have a pardon signed by the President of the United States, but on the other hand, I have a prisoner who is refusing to accept the pardon. Do you know that lawyers got involved in this case literally went to the Supreme Court of the United States of America? No one knew what to do. Do we hang George Wilson? Is he pardoned? What do we do? What is the answer? The Supreme Court, under the leadership of Chief Justice Marshall, wrote these words. A pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the uh, proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws, which exempts the individual on whom it is bestowed from the punishment the law inflicts for a crime he has committed. A pardon is a deed, the validity of which delivery is an essential part. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in the court to force it on him. George Wilson must be hanged. And so he was. The only man in American history who committed a crime tried and judged guilty, pardoned, and yet rejected the pardon and chose to die. You say, what a fool. Oh, but how many fools walk the face of the earth? Tried and found guilty before the judging hand of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And the wages of sin is death. The truth of it is every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever lived has already been tried, has already been found guilty, and has been sentenced to death. We are living on death row.
But the truth of it is, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ signed a pardon with his own blood. And he offers it freely to whosoever will. And the grace of the king is undeniable. And the grace of the king is unending. But I want to remind you that the grace of the king is unavailing after death. We must make a choice today to say yes to the offer of grace. For a pardon that is rejected is in fact no pardon at all. And the person who is guilty of the crime must suffer the just punishment. I wonder this morning, have we rejected the grace of the King? Or have we said yes to Jesus Christ? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.